You're listening to their Auto Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. Well, hello, world. Hello. Hello, everybody. I think uh, today's episode is going to be uh, more Tesla, more AV, autonomous vehicle heavy than normal. And I know you're sitting at home going, how is that possible? You guys have an obsession with this stuff. No, we have an obsession with safety and safe cars and keeping you safe. But let's get into it. So uh, we've talked about before with San Francisco, uh, the autonomous vehicles and the state of California and places and Companies like GM Cruise and Google's Waymo saying, hey, just let more of our cars out on the road. It's all fine. It's okay. Let's just go ahead and do this. And the fire department and the police of San Francisco are saying, hey, look, we're not anti-technology, but these things are dangerous. Let's slow your roll here, people. Let's not really get crazy with this. There is a vote on this tomorrow with the California Public Utilities Commission on August 10th, and uh, it, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but we've got some good articles we're linking to uh, where you can see the 55 reports so far of robot cars interfering with the San Francisco Fire Department. Um, you can see basically the residents of San Francisco not really being in favor of this. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal we link to, um, and one of these articles, my favorite part of it is, well, when these vehicles, they, they block emergency vehicle the emergency responders when they collapse in the middle of the road essentially uh gm cruises responses well we have a three and a half mini minute video demonstrating how to dismantle a cruise vehicle blocking the roadway it requires three to four people to implement this so cruises response is hey our car died over your fire hose spreading a fire where you know your uh fire uh, firemen, fire people, what are they called? I don't know, first responders. They're going to sit there, pull up YouTube on their phone, watch a three and a half minute video while a building burns, then pull three to four firemen off of the fire and disam- disable this vehicle and get it out of the way. That That's insane. It's So there are three to four emergency responders no longer responding to an emergency, but instead acting as unpaid tech support. Like uh, The gall. Of these people, but so, hey. you, so you think that's unreasonable? <laughs> yes, highly uh, on, and just uh, that's just this tech bro nonsense view. Oh, hey, look, you just look. We put together a video. This is how you can disable our vehicles. We're we're helping you. Whereas if there's a human in the car, you just like move your vehicle, and it's done. Well, it's it's it brought to mind, you know, just visions of old VW Beetles and smaller cars getting picked up and moved by football <laughs> teams at schools across the country to to play pranks on their principals and teachers. But we don't often see a uh, company come out and say, you know, just take our vehicle apart and move it. Can you imagine the liability, by the way, that you're you're incurring there for the city if you're touching one of these multi-million dollar vehicles and taking it into pieces and moving it? What's that? Just I, I would be so anxious just touching a car that costs that much. I'm not sure that I could take it apart. 
Amazing. Cruise executive, uh, chief executive, Kyle, uh, said in an interview that officials would cause more people to be harmed if they slowed the rollout of self-driving cars, citing company data that linked their increased presence to reduced collisions. They will not share this data. Yeah, Perhaps it's, it's a dated, complete lie. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I don't believe it unless they share it. And, they, and they can say anything they want, just like Elon has been saying, we're going to have a robo-taxi service for you next year to justify our massive losses over the past few. Um, they keep repeating this stuff, but it's 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 all not true. They can't prove it. They 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 won't show the data to the public because it doesn't exist. Well, I think it's important to note that the Public Utility Commission is full of sober, reasonable individuals and fully transparent. There's no conflict of interest that would affect the vote on whether or not to proliferate the AVs uh, throughout California. Isn't it? Isn't that so, Michael? Well, you know, it's not actually the one of the commissioners was actually GM's Cruises managing council for two to three years, 2019 to 2021, which he should be recusing himself from the vote. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I don't think anyone that's reasonable thinks that someone who was the, one of the former lead attorneys for a company can come in now on the Public Utilities Commission and make an unbiased decision. That's, you know, it fits right in with all the malarkey we've seen coming out of this industry that, you know, someone thinks that they're going to be able to be unbiased after being paid by the company two years before to be their one of their managing attorneys. So I don't know. I, I that that guy needs to recuse himself yesterday. How long before he goes back to his job at GM Cruise? Well, you never know. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of folks jumping ship over at NHTSA to go work for Zooks and for some of the autonomy companies. And there's the very, very, very few protections that are set up in governments to prevent conflicts of interest like this occurring. And it's something that's been going on in the federal government for well over 30 years. You know, we've continually seen people hired directly from industry i mean to the point where you know i think in around 2005 nitsa brought in um the chief counsel from chrysler to be their chief counsel that kind of thing decisions that just don't make any sense objectively if you're a consumer and you want someone unbiased and independent making these safety evaluations you can't bring in people from the industry who have been paid by the industry to support its goals and, you know, last year, two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, there has to be some sort of vetting process there to ensure that these votes remain um, uncompromised by, you know, by outside money. Oh, I stand corrected. I I guess my naivete is slowly dissipating. Hey, my job in this show is to play the role of the naive fool. OK, that's not your job. Come on. We look at you as sober realist. OK. My job is to be like, why isn't everything perfect? Got anyway. it. All right. Got it. Understood. <laughs> Thank you. So on uh, Monday, uh, members of the, the fire department and police department appeared before the Public Utilities Commissions to argue against enabling more of these AVs out on the road. And there's a great quote from uh, San Francisco Fire Chief Janine Nicholson. She said, I will reiterate, it is not our job to babysit their vehicles, which is amazing. 
to this, GM Cruise and Google Waymo say, hey, there's QR codes on the outside of these vehicles and firefighters, emergency responders. They can scan that and it will connect to our tech support hotline, uh, <laughs> which is insane because, again, this is, again, tech bro nonsense. They're like, hey, I've used the QR code. It works for me. Not realizing that firefighters don't have access to their phones. Okay. They're wearing a hundred pounds of gear. Like their, their job is not to be like, Hey, how easy is it to get to my phone? Oh, let me remove all of this gear I have on to protect me. Uh, find my phone, figure out how to scan a QR code and then wait for tech support. The best part, the kicker, when you call tech support, you may be waiting for five minutes and more. Well, and then they're going to tell you, you need a screwdriver to take the car into three or four pieces <laughs> and move it out of the way. I mean, and all of this is happening while maybe they're sending a team out to move the car, but you've got whatever emergency situation, the the fire and police or whoever is there that they were already dealing with, whatever that situation is, is going, it's continuing and you're losing personnel to assist in that. So it's a mess. I, I, you know, until GM or Zooks or any of these companies can show any real benefits safety wise to the disabled, to anyone, you know, I don't think they should be allowed on the roads causing this kind of havoc. It's going to result, you know, if it hasn't already, it's going to result in, you know, deaths or injuries or, you know, any, any other number of things. Right now, it looks like it's mostly resulting in a lot of time being spent by emergency responders in San Francisco babysitting well the bottom line for the ethics on this it seems to me is that the developers of these autonomous vehicles are saying implicitly that it's okay if a bunch of people die while we're developing these things because you know that's just the cost of doing business and you know eventually in the future everything will be better we won't have to kill people anymore to do it but in the meantime we're just going to have to sacrifice some people who may be in a fire, maybe in cars, maybe res emergency responders while we learn how to do this, while we train our AI systems, while we, you know, while we do all the stuff the tech pros do. And I'd like to know what is the budget they propose for dead people to train their vehicles? I mean, that's, that's really fundamentally what this is all about. They're saying it's okay to kill people while we, while we learn. Fine. How many people are you going to kill? And what other, you know, I'm trying to think about other consumer products that have this kind of thing. You know, it, it would be a really bad business model, you know, for Twinkies to say, oh, we're going to have a perfect dessert one day, but we're going to end up killing a bunch of people in the process. Or, you know, maybe medicine is a good analog where you're going to have tests and there may be, uh, maybe some complications from a medication or a medical procedure on the road towards perfecting that procedure. But there are guidelines that are set up in, in the medical area to prevent that from happening. There are, you know, first of all, there are guidelines around who and what is a test subject and consent. You know, nobody in San Francisco is getting that in this case. You know, everybody on the roads, then the emergency responders and the people who need the emergency responders are being used as guinea pigs in this situation. So I think that points to what where we're going here is that there, there really need to be stronger regulations around the deployment and testing of these vehicles. And they really need to be showing a true benefit before they're out on our roads creating havoc. Well, then the difference with the medical example you brought up is that 
in the evaluation of whether or not a new medicine is going to be used, it's always considered whether or not conventional medicines or prior prior regimens or medicines are adequate to the purpose. And the only time when an experimental method is allowed to be used is when all other all other uh, options have been exhausted and there's a critical need to keep the person alive. I don't see any I don't see any critical need to put these vehicles on the street. I don't see anybody dying waiting for AVs. I do see people dying because of AVs. Uh, this is just this is just a bizarre world. It's completely upside down. Well, maybe if we gave you some stock options in GM Cruise, it would change your ethical consideration. Are they a sponsor of uh, Center for Auto Safety, Michael? <laughs> I just want to be clear about this. I want to be clear that Michael said no, but I think he put himself on mute again. So <laughs> he now he he mimed no. <laughs> That's an emphatic no. Uh, no, no, we are not supported by any any anyone in the auto industry, and never will be. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's jump over to our good friends in uh, Tesla Land. The Wall Street Journal put out a video this morning where they have exclusive footage of a Tesla on autopilot crashing into parked emergency vehicles. This is a driver who gets into the car, inebriated, has uh, engages autopilot, which again, astute listeners, autopilot is nonsense. It is just a marketing term. It is not remotely like autopilot on an airplane, which, by the way, also requires a human behind it and apparently requires more work of the pilots uh, and starts going down the highway. He was prompted uh, dozens and dozens of times to put his hands on the steering wheel, did so, and then came across emergency vehicles, lights flashing. And instead, like a human driver would get out of the way. He figured, hey, autopilot, man, this is what it's doing. My bro, Elon, says this is the jam. And he hits a parked police car at 54 miles per hour, sending three officers to the hospital and the person who was originally stopped. Uh, I, I mean, I'm at a loss. Like, this is this is insane. So these officers now, they're suing Tesla. And right. the Tesla fanboys are just like, yo, that was software from three years ago, bro. Like, it's it's insane. You know, well, uh, back to my point. It's just the, the cost of doing business in the Syrian is to kill people. And and again, all right, if, if, you know, if Mr. Musk thinks that that's an appropriate business strategy, tell me how many you're going to kill. What's your budget? And, you know, how much how much money have you reserved? And your stockholders would like to know how much money have you reserved to settle these cases of the people who are dying? What is, well, you know, what's your strategy? Then, then, then the, the people who are dying and being injured right now are, are not having any of their cases settled from what I understand. Tesla's got kind of a um, slash and burn legal strategy that's, that's basically trying to delay and extend all these cases out as far as possible. So, um, and I think I've discussed that here before. You know, there's a reckoning coming in many of those cases when they actually get to trial. I think the next one's coming up later this fall. Um, because at that point, there there's going to be, you know, the real chance of punitive damages in addition to some of these other things. NHTSA 
is really the one who could have put a stop to this years ago before this crash. I think this crash that, 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 that Anthony was discussing was in 2021. Um, and it's hard to tell, you know, we don't really know if the driver was awake or putting his hands on the wheel. We know he was drunk. He could have been asleep using one of the many methods that sold to, trick the teslas into believing that there's actually a driver behind the wheel the tesla buddies or you know weights on the steering wheel um but in any event that driver apparently really believed that the the autopilot was level two autopilot let's let's make that clear this is not a self-driving vehicle it's not even close um he believed that was going to get him all the way home and it ended up driving him straight into the back of a police car. Tesla's marketing's fascinating. I, I met a guy who owns a Tesla just the other day and he says, I do not trust their full self-driving autopilot at all. I don't trust it at all, but he says, I love it because the other day I was stuck in traffic on a bridge and I let the car take over. And I didn't want to say this to the man because I had just met him and I was like, oh, my my car does that and I didn't have to pay $15,000. Like, it's just like, I mean, you're paying for something that's standard on the low level car I have that's three years old. It's, I mean, it literally he paid half of the value of my car for something that just comes for free. That'd be like, well, my seat belts are extra soft or something. I'm I'm paying extra for that. Not a great analogy. Early in the morning, I'm doing what I can. Well, guys. You know, the, the, we we also learned this week that you know you can hack a Tesla and get past that fifteen thousand dollar window. So, you know, who knows what that opens up? Um, Wait, what I can do? What there? There was a story that came out this week. I'd have to find oh, I didn't it. Didn't read it. Yes, I see it. Free, it's free for self-driving. So you, their ha- hackers have managed to. They found an exploit in Tesla's software where they can get around locked features. So things like heated seats that manufacturers are starting to charge all, all of the new car buyers for. Um, they found hacks to get around that and get free heated seats. But they also found a way to get the full self-driving package, um, and to unlock that. So. You know, that points to a pretty severe cybersecurity failure on the part of Tesla, um, because right now, you know, not everyone is even I, I, I'm not sure where Tesla is on their grading of full self-driving customers. Now, I know that in the past they've prevented some people from getting that feature because they simply weren't safe enough drivers to qualify um now if if anyone can hack into it then you know there there's really nothing preventing you know the 13 year old who was driving a tesla this week from from popping it into full self-driving and going to the ice cream store (laughs) so yeah this is an article in electric.co um the hack requires physical access to the car i mean if you have the car you have physical access to it and involves a voltage fault injection attack on the AMD-based infotainment system, I, what's with these infotainment systems? I mean, they're ha- they're connected to everything, and so uh, these the group of hackers claims that their Tesla jailbreak is unpatchable and allows to run arbitrary software on the infotainment system. Oh, I feel safe on the road. It and- just gets better and better, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, and we've you know we've discussed where there there's there's a problem with infotainment systems and you know the the entire car's control system being with you know 
contained within the infotainment system or connected to it. And we, we, we've always felt there needs to be some type of firewall or something preventing, you know, all this flood of information that's going to be coming back and forth through vehicle entertainment systems from being accessed or being connected to the vehicle control system, because that is a, you know, other than the million other things on vehicles that are susceptible to hackers, that's a, a, a pretty big point of attack. And right now, when there are no cybersecurity regulations on vehicles, you know, manufacturers can do whatever they want, including not put good cybersecurity in in the first place. And that's what we're seeing mostly. Um, and that means that, you know, for the next until cybersecurity regulations are in place, you're going to continue to see things like this uh, where hackers are able to access different vehicle things hopefully just infotainment type functions but you know what we're really concerned about are hackers being able to access the vehicle control system in any system where you've got millions of lines of software uh, no human being is going to understand all of the interfaces associated with those millions of lines of software the software that goes into these vehicles is uh, by most reports much more complex than that that goes into an airplane there's just, uh, there's no way any human being is going to be able to understand all that because the companies refuse to do adequate validation of the software um, through regression testing and the various processes that are well understood in the software industry. Any changes that the companies make and any vulnerabilities that are in the software are going unreported and undetected and, uh, and unverified. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's a nightmare. I, I, when people can put a software fix in place in a day or two, as has often been reported, and send it out to the world, there's no way that that could have been adequately tested and checked against all the software interfaces that are available. Uh, encapsulating the infotainment system to make sure that it's isolated from the operational system is only the beginning. Um, and even that's not being done in these cars. It's so weird to me. I, I, I don't get it. But hey, listeners, have you ever had your computer like crash on you or freeze on you? And you're like, ah, this is awful. Now imagine you were inside your computer and it crashed on you and froze on you. And your computer was actually a car. In this case, a Tesla. Ha <laughs> ha! An Arizona man uh, was trapped inside his Tesla Model Y during a 100-degree day with no knowledge of how to get out. Uh, I couldn't open the doors. I couldn't open the lower the windows. The computer was dead, so I couldn't open the glove box. I couldn't open anything. How insane is this? I never even considered this as, as a possibility that you're trapped inside your dumb computer car and uh, it just decides to crap the crap out on you and you're stuck inside um so tesla claims they have an override to escape the vehicle if the battery dies or if the door won't open uh, who besides me and possibly fred have actually read their entire car manual to find this you know side note uh it, this is insane why don't don't they have door handles like aren't they mechanical door handles no no, uh, we've received this complaint before too from from someone who's I, I, I can't remember if their battery if they ran out of battery or for some reason their electrics uh, they were riding in a friend's Tesla and for some reason the electrics went out in that vehicle 
and they couldn't figure a way to get out and had to crawl through the front door because the rear door wouldn't open. Um, and we've seen at least, you know, five to 10 complaints. We don't get a lot of complaints compared to NHTSA or certainly compared to Tesla, but we've seen five to 10 complaints where people have, you know, written us saying they've noticed this feature and they're concerned. And also there are a couple of crashes that we've covered where someone was trapped in the vehicle and we have no idea, you know, if, if that person was making an attempt to escape the vehicle or not. I believe in one that we covered, there was actually a witness stating that the, the man in the vehicle was trying to get out. Um, and that's a huge problem. There, there really needs to be a common accepted method of egress from these vehicles. You know, when, when there's a crash and there's no power available to operate the doors with electric power, there has to be a manual and easy way to get out. That's just total common sense. And it's, you know, it, Frankly, the thing that's most concerning here is that there's not a regulation in place that requires this already in every vehicle. You know, you shouldn't have to figure out or open your owner's manual to figure out how to escape your vehicle when, you know, the car's on fire. Or in this case, you can't even open the owner's manual because it's in the glove box and you can't open the glove box, apparently. So it's just a really, really, really bad design when it comes to egress. And it shows you that, that, you know, the engineers at Tesla aren't thinking about these types of situations. And the fact is they, they occur frequently on our roads. You know, there are many, many, many people killed and severely injured every year and, and fires when they're unable to escape the vehicle, um, making it as easy as possible to get out quickly. It, it should be something that's regulated and, you know, it should be a, a big red button type thing and not something that's buried in your owner's manual. I want to remind our listeners that virtually every public building you go into has uh, exit doors with a crash bar on them. And this crash bar overrides any other way of securing the door so that if there's a fire, you just hit the crash bar and, uh, and out you go, the door opens. This is not a complex requirement, not something new for anybody. Um, the idea that you should be able to get out of a, a burning, trapped volume, uh, that's that's not a revelation. That's not something that has needs to be qualified or doesn't need to be invented. Just do it. Listeners, if you enjoy learning terms such as crash bar, which I just thought, I don't know, is the thing you pressed on, or gore, which is that part of the highway that's that triangular thing before the exit or around the exit. I'm not describing it well, but if you like learning terms like this, go to autosafety.org, click on donate, and and each week, Fred will just share some terms with you that you didn't know for everyday things. You know that thing in your kitchen where you flip it and lights go on? Light switch. No idea. Crazy. Um. So, wait, let's go back to this trapped in a tesla thing here so why in a car is it not, is it just a cost saving thing like why is it not a mechanical release like a door handle you open it pulls a cable it opens the door i don't i'm i'm lost here i'm pretty sure my car you pull the handle there's a mechanical well there's also you know the one of the problems in in the teslas that we've we've heard about are, are the are the what do they call them? The gull wing doors or the oh. doors that they, they require electric power to raise those doors. And so they have to build in a separate manual release that allows you to push them out. And, and, you know, a manual, 
a crash bar wouldn't work in a car, but something similar might. You know, a crash bar is something that could be triggered and open the doors during a crash. But we need something that is, you know, a button somewhere where it's not going to be, you know, inadvertently hit, but is obvious to uh, drivers and passengers because we're, we're these. This isn't just something that should be under the driver's control. You know, there should be in any vehicle that has doors that are powered by elect by electricity or that um can be um locked or unable if you can't latched or locked uh, and require electric power to open them after a crash there has to be some type of obvious manual release um it's yeah it, most vehicles don't we don't have this problem you know in my in my car at least i pull the handle and the door opens whether the door's locked or not no matter what um child locks are similar here you know they're something where if you're in a crash and you have child locks on in your back seat and the driver isn't able to get out of the car and open the doors for whoever's in the back seat then you're going to have a similar problem hmm. all right anthony i have a question for you true <clears throat> uh when people are developing technical standards voluntary industry standards and uh, mandatory industry standards for autonomous vehicles there is only one organization that keeps insisting that we need to have available safe emergency egress at all times for autonomous vehicles can you guess who that organization might be that is the center for auto safety oh you win yeah you win the prize Holy, you're listening to their auto be a law by the Center for Auto Safety. I could have been a game show host in a, another life. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't know how much more we want to stick on Tesla and poke them, but they had a really busy week of just pure dumbness over and over and over again. Yeah, let's one, take, thing, you know, one thing that's that's I definitely want to mention on Tesla was that we covered a few months ago the um the spying where Tesla employees were passing around videos um, of people in intimate moments and otherwise uh, that they got from the, the in-car cameras. Um, and what, what happened after that was one of these folks sued Tesla and there was a, there's a class action that was just started Um but what what last week Tesla came into that court and said, whoa, 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 you signed this contract. And in this contract, it says that all disputes are going to be taken to an arbitration, which is something we've talked about before. Forced arbitration, basically, they take a properly filed civil case against Tesla and they move it to a kangaroo court of arbitration that where the arbitrators being paid by Tesla, where consumers don't have any opportunity for discovery and the normal things that, that actually you use to build your case in civil court. And the judgments are invariably going to favor the manufacturer. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that Uber tried to do to sexual assault victims and its vehicles before they relented a few years back, all of the tech, companies that are involved in autonomous vehicles want to be able to use forced arbitration you know if, if you're in an av and you hit something and you're injured they want you to go to their court not you know your state or local court 
Um, they basically want to remove that backstop of the civil justice system to reduce their cost. Obviously, it's all about money. So that's a huge problem. And it's something that, that I wanted to point out specifically about Tesla this week, because they are continuing to use force arbitration in this case to thwart the claims of their own owners who they were spying on and passing video around about at, at work. When did people sign these contracts? Is like when they when buy you the first car. Paid. So they don't really. You either get the car, or you or you either get the car and sign the tr contract, or you don't sign the contract and don't get the car. They're contracts of adhesion, which means you don't have any choice. And it's a practice that I think should be eliminated. You know, across America and every consumer contract, not just vehicles. Consumers should be able to make a purchase without signing themselves off to uh, going to arbitration and losing any rights they had um before the purchase didn't uber run into a situation where sexual assault victims were suing uber and they tried to force it into arbitration but yes. they were overruled by a judge isn't that right i i can't remember if they were overruled by a judge or if they finally came to their senses that they were doing something that was really bad but you know, that was a particularly you know that's kind of a particularly sensitive area you know if if you're just, you know, Joe Blow on the street and you're in a crash in an Uber or you're in a crash in a Tesla, you know, you don't really have that type of you're not going to get the press and you're not going to get the publicity that a case like that that involved hundreds of sexual assault victims. And so the odds of you winning and not being forced to go to an arbitration court are, are very, very low. Um, and it's something that we think needs to change broadly in American law. Otherwise, you know, I think if forced arbitration isn't pushed out of the law instead of being, you know, brought in more and more, the, the tech company, here's, here's the crazy thing about it. The, the traditional manufacturers, GM, Ford, Chrysler, they don't use this because they work through a network of dealers and those dealers are based in states and they're generally going to be subject to state law and arbitration clauses are much not something they've used traditionally. And it's not something that that auto buyers have really had to deal with until this massive influx of our friends, the tech bros into the system. So now Tesla Waymo, uh, maybe even GM will start using these, but a lot of the the tech companies that have gotten involved in transportation are, are using these clauses in their contracts and in their terms of service. When you, I mean, this isn't even really a contract in in the traditional sense. When you sign up for Uber and agree to their terms of service, you've agreed to you know not take your case to court and instead go to arbitration. Of course, you have no idea you agreed to that because it's buried in the in the agreement way further down than any of us are ever willing to read in these types of contracts. So it's, you know, it's basically a, a hidden provision and that's going to, you know, essentially make sure that you lose your legal rights. I, I was blown away that these arbitration clauses actually stand because uh, the majority of people who sign this stuff didn't go to law school, don't know what arbitration means. And the judge is like, well, you signed this like, huh? Like I, I have a fourth grade education. I couldn't even read the contract. What are well, we doing here? People, even the ones who did go to law school are inevitably going to sign them because, you know, if they want that Tesla, they have to sign it. Mm, I don't want that Tesla. So <laughs> I don't have to sign it. Uh, okay. Let's take a break from Tesla and let's, uh, let's, let's go into Fred and his, uh, his towel this week that the, 
AI software always transcribes as the towel of Fred. I, I don't know why I keep trying to train it and get it better. And it's always like, nope, the towel of Fred. So this week, the towel of Fred. Uh, I love this idea. I'm just going to let you You've take it away because I want to volunteer to be part of this day. All right. Well, <laughs> there has been a claim, uh, particularly by our friend Kyle, but a lot of other people, <clears throat> excuse me, that AVs never drive drunk get sleepy or get distracted, implying that that makes them better than human drivers. Well, but why? Uh, because there's an underlying assumption on the part of the whoever's spouting that nonsense that the AVs are just as good as human drivers in other circumstances. And uh, so overall, they're better when the human drivers are degraded because they're otherwise just as good. But but let's take that apart. If manufacturers were actually convinced that AVs are safer than human drivers, they'd be making the argument that it's a moral necessity for everyone to use them, right? Because they're safer. <clears throat> but that's not the argument that they make. Instead, they're arguing that the road to automotive safety, heaven, passes through the hell of uninspectable, unknowable, and unquantified, unleashed AVs endangering the public until, uh, well, until when? How many people have to die to satisfy the developer's ambitions? What, you know, what is the budget? 10, 100, 10,000? How many examples of unsafe or lethal AV interactions will it take to train their computer driver? But, you know, developers say that they're inherently safer because they never drive drunk. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's compare, let's, let's posit a test where we compare the AVs to a human driver. So let's, let's first just, take this apart and say, what are the situations where AVs and human drivers can have competing efficiencies? So a couple that have come to mind, I'll just read through my list. A safe stop when overtaken by police or fire truck using their emergency lights. Safe immobilization on demand of police using manual signals or whistle, right? Don't Please don't run over me car. Uh, avoidance of pedestrian with and without a bicycle at night an unlighted highway at the top speed for the ODD. Safe navigation around uh, a scene of an emergency response by fire, ambulance, or police. Uh, rerouting against a mapped route, for example, going the wrong way up a one-way street when directed by police. Ooh, Avoidance a of one. a child. Go ahead. I said that's a that's a good one. Yeah, that 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 will happen sometimes where police yeah, will say, yeah. "Yeah, you're going down the street." I like it. Avoiding a child or an adult or a bicycle or a wheelchair, uh, running into the street from behind an obstruction. Avoidance of a pedestrian suddenly emerging from a crowd and crossing the street in front of a vehicle. Uh, avoiding pylons in a slalom course. Reversal of direction and rerouting at unmapped road blockage. Like, for example, you know, there's a, suddenly a roadblock up, right, somewhere. Right. And you got to turn around and, and get out of Dodge. A safe approach to a tractor trailer crossing in front of a vehicle. We know this has killed several people already. Um, you know, safe navigation of a highway gore. Again, that's been known to kill people. Avoidance of a pedestrian uh, or a bicyclist or a child while the vehicle is cresting the hill. We know from independent tests by IIHS that the vehicles don't carry over the crest of a hill very well. They lose their position. They lose the reference by the side of the road. Um, that's got a lot to do with geometry and where the senses are. How about avoiding front over and back over 
contact with a child when the vehicle is starting. The safe occupant egress to the dead battery, and doing this all at night in bad weather, if that's allowed by the ODD. I, you know, these are these are all very simple tests that could be done safely and compare the AV response to a human response. I think I know how that's going to come out, and it, but you know, I, I'm sure that GM and Cruise and Waymo and Aurora and you know they're all corporate citizens with great response, <laughs> great uh, feelings of responsibilities. So they've probably already done all these tests, and we're just kind of curious why they haven't published the results of that. But I think we can, you know, once we've set this up, we can up the ante. Uh, let's, maybe let's introduce alcohol into the equation. If crews and 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 these vehicles are really better than uh, a drunk driver, well, let's test it. Let's let's see if that's the case. Because once you've got the test set up so you can do them safely, you can certainly do them safely with a little bit of uh, compromise of the driver. Right, there's got to be a way to do that. You could use a, for example, you could use a support driver uh, alongside the drunk driver and just see what the comparison is. So uh, I, I'm going to jump in real quick. So I, I was all for like I will be the drunk driver. I'm looking forward to this. But then when you started talking, I realized there's another way to do it that's even simpler. They have drunk driving simulators, and I was in one years ago where it's a, it's a car quote unquote it's computer system that it changes its inputs to have the reaction time of a typical drunk driver actually it wasn't a drunk driving simulator it was a nascar simulator i didn't do very well <laughs> either way <laughs> <clears throat> well it's um, demanding but you know i'm not sure how this test would get set up whether you do it real lives or do it virtually or what you're going to do i think you'd have to do it live though because the assertion is that these real live avs <clears throat> are better than real life human beings uh in all of these circumstances yeah well i'm gonna challenge it to a push-up contest after i beat its ass yeah well uh, you're right that's a testable assumption and i'm sure that the corporate sponsors wouldn't have put it out in public unless they've tested the assumptions so please send us the data we'd love to see how those tests have come out and uh and we'd be happy to share this list of simple tests that you can use as your reference for the comparison between the human and the AV drivers or the and computer if, drivers, however you want to think of that. If Bartles and or James is listening, we'd love you to sponsor this because it's going to get expensive just from a liability point of view. And, and if it is Bartles and James, I'm not going to become the drunk driving simulator person or a real yeah. person. I don't okay. even know where you pulled the Bartles and James from. That is like a 40 year old wine cooler reference. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's just how I roll. They did have uh, good commercials. Let's just go with Miller time. Are right? they still using that? Yeah, that would, I, I mean, you have to drink like a case of that. It's, I think it's water. Uh, that's but, what I told the, the cop serious, the other day anyway. But the serious part of this is if the company is going to put out a statement that says it's better than something, well, show us the you know show us the data. What are you afraid of? If you have no data, stop speaking about it. You know this is not a political contest. This is people's lives at stake and the, the future of the technology at stake. And if you screw it up, uh, not only will the people's lives not be saved, but you're also going to ruin the climate for the proliferation of this technology in the future. 
Well, you know, Under- Kyle keeps saying that, hey, according to our data, which I won't share with you, uh, we're safer. And then he's like, hey, we've got a million miles on testing. And uh, as you guys have pointed out to me, a million miles in car testing is a rounding error. Mm-hmm. It's not remotely impressive. Right. A million miles with 55, a minimum 55 examples of interference with emergency response which comes out to be, what did I figure out, 23,000 times more frequently than uh, Oh, no, it was like 140-something thousand. 167,000, I believe, is the number. Yes. Yeah, 167,000 times the frequency are more common than NHTSA has reported for conventional vehicles endangering the drivers. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, it's just bizarro. I don't, I just don't get it. You know, it's like putting an airplane on the runway and saying, well, it's certified to fly, but we've never actually been in the air. But <laughs> I mean, what the hell? This is just crazy. There's an autopilot but- button though. Come on, Fred. Right. We've, we've run a simulator and this airplane should be just perfectly fine. So, hey, go ahead and, you know, fill it up with passengers and off it goes. Come along the new Boeing 737 Max. Oh, I know that was a little too dark. Um, okay. Before we go into recall roundup, here's a, here's one that's going to be landing in people's cars just any day now. Actually, I think it's already started happening. Whereas, uh, all of your, there's a kind of a, a fight over the touchscreens, the infotainment system. So most cars, your infotainment system built by the car manufacturers, uh, I think according to the, the internal research I have, uh, suck. It's the horrible experience. So everyone instead uses their phone and, and uses Apple's CarPlay or Android Auto, which suck much less. Uh, and now G- General Motors is like, yeah, yeah, we're, uh, we're banning CarPlay. We're not going to allow this stuff in there because why not? Because they don't want you, their customer to have a good experience is because they went, wait, we want to control this stuff because yeah. Apple wants to be in your car because every time you do something in your car that costs money, Apple's taking 30%. Um, I don't know why. For some biblical reason, that's why they're doing it. <laughs> um, some very Old Testament reasons is why they take 30%. So uh, so now the auto companies are like, wait a second, got to get these guys out of this because we want the money. We, If someone wants a heated seat on a cold day, I want to I wanna nickel and dine them. Okay, oh, if you want a seatbelt that actually clicks properly, yeah, that's going to cost you more. Oh, you want you want a uh, fast speed? That costs you a little bit more. If you want full self-driving, which is just a term, it doesn't mean anything, uh, that's going to cost you more. So uh, I feel bad for the consumers of the future. I will drive my car until it is dust. Oh, I, 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 I continue to think that GM kind of stepped over all crossed a line that they may wish they hadn't at some point in that because to me at least the people i know seem to value their their brand of phone or being able to use their phone a lot more than the brand of vehicle that they drive maybe you know i I just see people who are fanatics for instance about apple and they're in the apple ecosystem and all their music and everything they have is connected there and then why would they buy a car that doesn't support that? You know, all and and Apple has been very forward. I mean, and I think it was in the the link that that will be on our podcast page. But this is the one where Apple has really spent a lot of time 
basically designing systems that are not just intended to give you a little screen, but to actually, in many ways, combine or infiltrate the vehicle electronic systems to produce your own Apple dashboard, you know, overtaking things like your vehicle's speedometer and mm -hmm. things like that. I think that's way out in the future, and, and there are probably some compliance issues there, but what it shows you is that that you know apple and google are both very heavily invested in this area and i think the automakers see them as competition at this point and that's why i think gm would really with that move was putting a stake in the ground and said we're going to do it ourselves the problem with that is that they don't have a lot of great years of tech experience that suggests to me they're going to be able to beat out an Apple or an Android in, in that area. Um, and none of the other automakers have joined GM in that push at this point. They all seem to be hanging back and saying, oh, whoa, no way we're getting rid of Apple or no way we're getting rid of Android. So it's something that's going to continue to develop over the next decade or more. And it will be really interested to see not just, you know, which manufacturers try to build their own systems and how well those work and what consumer acceptance looks like. But, you know, what what does your dashboard look like in 10 years? Are we going to have these massive touch screens creating all these fantastic environments? Or are we going to figure out that that's actually not safe and is a huge distraction for drivers and that we might be better off just sticking with our old fashioned buttons? I like a good button. A good button's nice. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because General Motors, they're not actually really developing the software. They're using Google's Android auto software as the, the platform they're building on because I think they realize at least that, hey, we, we can't really build this, but hey, we'll put a GM logo on it and we'll take the money, all of the money that comes in and they won't do the tithing. Isn't that pretty much guaranteed to suck five years after you buy the car? I mean, well, you, you, you can't... You can't run current software on your iPhone 3 that you bought 20 years ago. Uh, why are you driving a car that's five years old? Why do you hate the economy? Because it got hit by a deer and I'm waiting for it to be repaired. <laughs> well, there's there's a the, the big difference there is that the, the manufacturers are going to have to kind of update their product cycle, you know, for years cars have been on like they, it takes a long time to design and build a car and they're on these five-year product cycles where you'll see the same model being made essentially for a few years before it's changed whereas you know in the phones we're seeing a new model new apple or new and new samsung come out every year or so and those are those have new hardware not only new hardware but you know new software now the vehicles you're buying a vehicle with the expectation that it lasts a lot longer than a phone and so what the manufacturers are going to have to figure out is how to get good software updates into these vehicles that will you know allow for better consumer choice when it comes to these issues so a uh, listener uh, michael mentioned the links in the podcast description if you're listening to this while driving down the road pull over don't start trying to click on these links while you're driving and now that you've pulled over the car and you've come to a safe stop go to autosafety.org on your phone and click donate yeah oh and why well, you're pulled over on the side of the road hopefully you have your hazards on it's a safe area hopefully the drivers around you have gone sideways if you see a tesla coming turn your car back on and just gun it get get out of there go quick uh and you know tell all your friends but now it's time oh sorry 
save yourselves first yes save yourselves first do not become part of a tesla full self-driving crash video speaking of crash videos i don't have any crash videos for a recall roundup but let's get into recall roundup strap in time for the recall roundup so the early part of the show we talked about uh one of our favorite uh companies tesla and now we're gonna get into our second favorite company hyundai kia oh boy oh boy hyundai kia got a lot of issues this week they have an engine compartment fire for the powertrain of 121,000 plus vehicles certain 2017 to 2022 nero and 2018 to 2022 nero plug-in i mean if you're gonna name your car nero like of course it's gonna catch on fire like what do you people think did it come with a little violin so this is the uh, dealers will inspect and replace the hydraulic clutch actuator actuator as actuator. necessary and install a new fuse free of charge uh odor notification letters expected to be mailed september 29th okay i've got before we get into the details of this so nits is announcing this now it is now august 9th they announced this a couple days ago uh why is it why are the letters going to go out over a month later generally we'll see the letters going out about that far after the recall um the companies have a very they have a five-day window which arguably many of them do not meet but a five-day window after they determine that there's a defect in the vehicle for them to notify NHTSA so the first thing that we see and the first thing that the public sees is the part 573 notice and that basically covers what the recall is all the models involved everything that's submitted to nitsa and then within another month or two they have other deadlines depending on whether they've got a fix ready for the vehicles or not they can either go ahead and announce the recall and say come on in and get it fixed and that takes some time you know it takes a little while to get all the vin numbers together get all your dealers uh and you on board with it if you've got a part that requires repairing or replacing you got to make sure your dealers have that in stock so there's a lot of kind of administrative work that goes into recalls so you'll generally see a delay between the time the recall is announced uh, from the manufacturer to NHTSA and the public finds out about it to the time where owners are actually receiving notifications saying, hey, come into the dealer or hey, don't come into the dealer. We're not ready yet, it, which is the case sometimes. Um, or, you know, also, as we'll see in, in the, the other two recalls from Kia and Hyundai this week, they'll have the you need to park your vehicle outside for now until we can get you a fix so there's generally a delay there of some weeks to a, a month or two before the actual notice is provided to the owners does kia get a group rate because they've got so many recalls or <laughs> any kind of discount with nitsa it's got to be some way of you know optimizing the paperwork they'll, they'll get franking privileges I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Franking privilege. It's what Congress has. They they get to send postal letters for free. Oh. Uh, mm. It's got nothing to do with barbecue. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, but but listeners, Michael's face got so happy when he said part five seventy three. 
Oh my gosh, I love saying that because it's meaningless to most people, but it's basically the bread and butter of recalls is the part 573. Uh, And for our next part 573, another uh, Kia powertrain electric oil pump assembly may cause fire. I love how like kind of passive these titles are may cause fire. I don't know. Uh, Almost 40,000 vehicles recalling certain 2023 Soul Sportage. Uh, So I, I... is that Celtos. The, huh? And 2023, 2024 Celtos. Um, I've heard of a Kia. So, okay, wait. Okay, I see where the comma is. Great. Uh, the electronic control for the idle stop and go oil pump assembly may contain damaged electrical components that can cause the pump to overheat. It's all very kind of may contain, like, uh, that's what my right. shampoo has. Right. Well, I mean, that's really because it's not going to happen in every car, right? If they said, if they said it will contain, then, you know, every owner in America is going to be scared that it's going to happen. But, you know, these things don't happen to every vehicle. Um, and so they use that language. Although, you know, we think more people would be likely to get the repair if the language in 573s was a little stronger. Um, especially in the consumer notification part. Um, and this recall also applies to a bunch of Hyundais. It's one of those recalls with Hyundai and Kia where um, it's their 2023 to 24 Palisade and then their 2023 Tucson, Sonata, Elantra, and Kona. So a lot of very recent um, Hyundais are having this problem. And basically, they're in the, is this the one where there's a circuit board? Yeah, um, the electronic controller for the idle stop and go oil pump. And it yeah. causes the pump controller to overheat. So this one right. and the, the 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 Kia and the Hyundai one here are both park outside and away from structures until the recall <laughs> repair is complete. And in this case, we're not seeing owner notification letters go out until September 25th um, of this year. So a couple, almost a month, a little over a month from now, a month and a half. Um, for a park outside notice, I'd want people to know immediately. And also, I came up with a new business idea. It's called Park Outside Parking, where we'll park your exploding car or potentially fire car away from structures. That's, no, no. You one? know, that's something that that if, if it was a valet service, it'd be nicer if you could, you know, meet me at my office building where I'm not allowed to park in my parking structure and then take my car somewhere else. But I got to think that's more expensive than most owners will be able to afford. I mean, I got to buy asbestos fireproof suits for my drivers. That's too much. The um, so this one looks like um, they already know what the fix is going to be for these. Um, so it doesn't look like they're having to design a a fix for the problem. So that should get owners for these two recalls fixed pretty quick. Although it's not starting until next month. Huh. Uh, moving on, we have uh one for Chrysler. Uh, the company that always surprises me, it still exists. Beat pillar trim may interfere with airbag. Uh, for, for those of you at home who don't know what a beat pillar is, the sitting in the driver's seat, you look to your left, that kind of part in between the windshield wiper or the windshield and your, and your driver's side passenger window. There's a structure there. That's the A pillar. And now going back between the uh, driver's side window and the rear passenger window, there's a more structure there. That's the B pillar. All right. Look at that. I learned stuff. Fred didn't even teach me that. I learned that on my own. Was that correct? You, you correct. amaze me every day, Anthony. 
<laughs> which is amazing. We only talk once a week, but I amaze him every day. Uh, okay, so uh, this, this is the email. The email. <laughs> Uh, potentially 44,708 vehicles. Uh, Chrysler's recalling certain 2022, 2023 Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. And if you've got the Grand Wagoneer, boy, are you special. The upper B-pillar inter- interior trim may not be fully seated and could interfere with the side curtain airbag deployment. As such, these vehicles fail to comply with the requirements of Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard Number 226, Ejection Mitigation. Ejection Mitigation was also a great name of an Alan Holdsworth album from 1982. Huh. Nah, I just made that part up. But um, that's, this, it, yeah. it, 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 that's interesting in itself. I don't know if everybody will catch that. But, you know, it's not a um, it's not an airbag compliance issue there that they're violating. That's because there aren't any federal standards on the, the curtain airbags in 208 where most of the other airbag regulations are. But it is a violation of the 226 ejection mitigation because these uh, side curtain airbags are critically important in preventing people from being ejected, you know, in in lots of cases, in cases of an open window or a damaged door opening or any number of other circumstances where a passenger uh, or driver may be unbuckled and might be subject to being ejected from the vehicle. Um, So... It's a it's side curtain airbags are have come to perform a pretty critical role in preventing injuries and ejections and rollovers and other types of crashes. Okay, hey, Michael, I have on. a question yeah. for you. With all of these Kias catching on fire, won't they fall under EPA uh, EPA governance for global warming pretty soon? Well, I mean, you would think they would count the fires as part of the emissions, but I'm not sure if they, they've got that that in their testing. How many of these Kias are located in Canadian boreal forests? Mm. Mm, that's a thinker. Probably not so many anymore. <laughs> and while we think about that, Lucid, <laughs> another company. That's it. They're just a company. Uh, they've got software may not display warning for loss of power. A loss of drive power without warning increases the risk of a crash. Lucid's recalling potentially 778 vehicles, which is less than their previous recalls, which just said all of them. Um, they're recalling certain 2022 to 2023 air vehicles, software version, blah, 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 may not respond to inverter power module failure which can result in a loss of drive power without warning. Now, what's this regression testing thing you always talk about, Fred? That's where you always test new software against the old software and make sure that you get the same results for the new software as you would have gotten with the old software uh, where there's a comparison. For example, if you build a new calculator, the old calculator would say 2 plus 2 equals 4. You want to make sure that the new calculator with the new software also says 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's fascinating. You could have worked for Intel in the mid-90s and saved them a ton of money. Uh, Last one. And that that Lucid one goes back to something we discussed, I believe, in this year's resolutions for this year. We asked for NHTSA to get on top of Lucid and their loss of power um problems which have been pretty well documented by their owners on various lucid forums they call it the uh turtle of death or turtle mode i forget what they call it but there have been just 
an obscene number of complaints on, on the limited number of vehicles Lucid has built so far regarding loss of power. Um, and this, I believe, is the second recall this year that attempts to address that issue. So we'll see if this one works. That's what Lisa Lucid. <laughs> that's what Lucid calls its sales techniques too: loss of power. Uh, uh the last one we got is uh, Nitsa has an open recall query. Uh, open recall query into Ram 1500 pickups. So the subject vehicle may experience a sudden intermittent or complete loss of power steering assistance. It's got power steering assistance. What's what's you know, are these the same people who make rear backup cameras? What's going on here? This one is uh so the reason this one is a recall query and not just your usual NITS uh engineering analysis or preliminary or, or or their initial evaluation of an issue. It's a recall query because there's Chrysler already recalled some of the later models here 2015 to 16s um and they did that in 2016 so seven years ago chrysler recalled the later models of this and now it looks like nitsa is saying oh well we're seeing a lot of you know reports of the same problem in the 2013s through the 2016s that you didn't recall um, which always raises our suspicions here because, you know, it could be that the exact same parts are on all of these vehicles, but Chrysler negotiated a sweet deal with NHTSA to only recall a few of them and left the other ones on the road where they've continued to degrade and now are having the same problem, which is completely expected, really. I, I think Fred would agree with that from an engineering perspective. If you have the same part of the vehicle and you only recall a certain batch, you're going to have a big risk remaining um, in, in the rest of them. So that's what this looks like to us. Um, and so it's, you know, Fiat Chrysler has a history of not being the most responsive when it comes to addressing safety issues via recall. So we are interested to see how this one develops and hope that some Chrysler owners who have had to deal with the problem and were left out of the initial recall um, are able to receive something out of this. I just want to point out that uh, there's a misunderstanding in what you just said, which is that engineers ever agree with anybody on virtually anything. That's just, it, that's not a thing with engineering. I also want to do a walk on here. We we talked last <laughs> a couple of weeks ago about uh, Rivian electronic electric uh, pickup trucks and how expensive they were to repair after a fairly routine crash. Right. I watched a video this week on the Tesla super truck or cyber truck or vomit truck or whatever they're calling it right now and how it's being built. And they're headed down the exact same path because what they're doing is they're building the vehicle out of stainless steel and using that stainless steel body as a primary structural member. A primary structure means everything else hangs off of it, right? So if you have a bridge on a, you know, and a barrier on a bridge, the barrier on the bridge is not primary structure. The bridge roadway itself is the primary structure because it's carrying everything else. When you make a body that is the primary structure, particularly out of stainless steel, You've got a huge repair bill when anybody bangs your fender because you've got to replace that uh, stainless steel or straighten it out or do something to it. That'll probably involve cutting out the section that's broken, welding in a new piece of stainless steel, 
grinding the weld, x-ray inspection because it's an, a load-bearing structure. Man, oh man, you know, if you've, if you've been holding off on your purchase of a Rivian because you're afraid of the repair cost, I think you might look somewhere else besides the, uh, the cyber truck from Tesla. I, I imagine that's going to be a huge, huge repair bill associated with any routine, uh, crash that you're going to encounter. You know, um, I'm wondering if it'll be a problem because, you know, I think the cyber truck will look better after an accident. <laughs> well that's true you know it's it actually seems to be designed to avoid radar detection it's got a stealthy uh stealthy contour and it's got all the angular presentations that it you does expect have that of, look. A, of a vehicle that is supposed to be stealthy so compared to the f-17 you see a lot of uh a lot of parallels uh, i don't know if that's a sales point for them or not but hey a stealthy, a stealthy autonomous vehicle that can carry a big load, man. There's certain population in the world that's going to love that. With with that, listeners, uh, we're out of time. But I'd like to make a request for next week's towel towel of Fred. Uh, can we talk about stainless steel? Because everyone thinks it's stainless steel it doesn't corrode. It'll be perfect and wonderful forever. But as someone who's seen stainless steel rust, I will disagree. But I am not the towel of Fred. So maybe we can talk about stainless steel, crash testing of stainless steel, yeah. um, how that's going to work. Uh, listeners, listeners, nature. please, please call in and, or, and comment <laughs> and give us some appraisal of your interest in metallurgy, because <laughs> I, I'd love to do that. But, you know, I'm a nerd. And so I get off on tangents that. But, but, but thank you for the suggestion, Anthony. Well, I, we'll, we'll try and make it more colloquial. OK. You know, we'll play Neil Young's uh, Arc Weld in the background. It'll be good. All right. That sounds good. That all sounds good. Okay. uh, Thank you for listening, folks. Thank you, listeners. Have a good one. Bye. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.